When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 292. Today's episode is all about the mind-altering power of awe to improve how you perceive your life. Well, there has been quite a bit of research on awe in the last 20 years. And early on, the research was looking at the sociological benefits of awe. Awe is considered what's called a pro-social emotion. And pro-social emotions mean that these are emotions that cultivate positive human attributes like generosity, gratitude, compassion, kindness, open-mindedness, curiosity about different people's, you know, political views. Like there's all these wonderful sociological benefits for having on our lives. And then over time, the research has shifted a little bit where now we're looking at it more as an intervention for actual medical problems. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. When was the last time you felt awe? Think back to a moment when you were completely blown away by something. Maybe it was the sight of a stunning sunset or the feeling of power that you had standing at the top of a mountain. Do you stop to revel in that awe? Or do you take these moments for granted? I'm gonna be honest. Most of my life, I've taken these moments or these experiences for granted. My theory is growing up in California, the beauty of nature was just so commonplace that somewhere along the way, it stopped feeling magical. Or maybe I should say, I stopped acknowledging the magic. Maybe I wasn't taught to stop and really take in the beauty. Do I have to be taught? I don't know, but my husband, on the other hand, has always been the opposite. And I love it because he's brought the awe back into my life. When we were first dating, he would always make sure to stop for a beautiful view on our long drives. Or he'd take me to special spots to see a city from a new perspective. He credits his mom. They grew up in the middle of the woods, and she was always creating little spots to sit and just be. A bench by the pond, or a few chairs at the top of a little hill with the sun peeking out. She would prompt them, even as kids, to notice the beauty. And the truth is, we're always surrounded by nature's magic. At any moment, we could experience wonder and awe, but most of us get so caught up in our lives that we don't even acknowledge the moment. But here's the thing. Experiencing awe actually has a whole lot of benefits, like increasing your creativity and your sense of connection to others. It even has the power to transform a society and change your physical health. For example, a 2015 study published in the Journal of Emotion found that people who experienced awe on a regular basis reported higher levels of life satisfaction and were more likely to engage in pro-social behaviors like volunteering and donating to charity. But here's where it gets really interesting. Research has shown that awe can have physiological effects on the body. Another 2015 study published in the Journal of Psychological Science found that people who viewed awe-inspiring images experienced a decrease in cytokines, which are proteins that play a role in inflammation and stress. How is that even possible? Well, it could be that awe has a calming effect on the body. But another theory that I like to wonder about is even more magical. 
Back in one of my exclusive episodes, number 59 with John Leaf, you can find that at mindlove.com slash x59, we talked about how cells communicate with each other. He told us how science proved that just gazing at a tree improved our body's ability to heal because the cells in nature actually communicate with the cells in our bodies, which is fascinating. So imagine how that's enhanced when we're not just gazing at the tree, when we're allowing ourselves to really open up to how wondrous that tree is, how long it's been growing, how amazing it is that that tree creates oxygen for us to breathe. How cool it is that trees reduce sound waves and communicate with each other. Everything goes beyond surface level if we just allow ourselves to think and feel deeply enough. But as was my experience, we so often let the busyness of our lives keep us at the surface. We let the magic of existence just pass us by. So how do we open ourselves up to experiencing awe every day or even every hour? Or maybe actually just living our lives in a perpetual state of awe. That's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Michael Amster. He's a physician and awe researcher, writer, and teacher at the UC Berkeley Greater Good Science Center. Three key things we will learn are what it really means to be in awe and why this topic has garnered so much attention lately, the science around the three types of awe, and a powerful method to help us enter into a state of awe at will. I also have a special gift for Mind Love members. There is a new awe meditation in your membership nook that will help you cultivate appreciation, amazement, and gratitude for all of the little things that you cherish in your life. So you can actually enter into that state of awe at will. You can find that with all of the other meditations in your members nook. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Michael Amster to the show. Hi, thanks so much for inviting me, Melissa. It's great to meet you. What initially inspired your research on the topic of awe? Yeah, so uh, the research that we've done on the emotion of awe started about four years ago. I was taking a class that my friend and colleague and co-author Jake Eagle was teaching. He's a leads a mindfulness spiritual community called Live Conscious. And he has a website, liveconscious.com. And I've been a student of his for a number of years, attending his retreats. And he was teaching a class where he had the students as a homework, do a 10-minute meditation. And it turned out he was experiencing that most of the people that were in the class didn't have the time to meditate for 10 minutes a day and to practice his, uh, pres- pres- his prescription. And I'm also a mindfulness teacher. I've been leading mindfulness groups for chronic pain patients for a number of years, as well as leading a spiritual group in my my home community, a, a Buddhist interfaith meditation group. And together, Jake and I were talking about how hard it is for people to find the time to have a meditation practice. So from that conversation, I came up with the idea of microdosing mindfulness, which was the idea of having brief 15, 30 second mindfulness experiences that we could have on the road and take with us wherever we go. And we decided we wanted to explore this more. So Jake lives in Hawaii and I flew out there. And as you probably, everyone can relate, Hawaii is filled with a lot of awe. It's extremely beautiful with incredible sky and water. And everywhere you go, there's extraordinary awe. And it actually, as we were exploring what would be this ideal brief mindfulness practice, It was when I was making pancakes one morning for Jake and Hannah at their house, I had this profound moment of presence and awe while making pancakes, exploring, watching the the batter turn from a, a liquid to a solid. 
I'm sure most of us, when we pour pancake batter, we pour the batter and then we walk away for a few minutes and make orange juice and sausage or whatever. And then we come back and flip the pancakes, but we never actually sit and watch the pancakes turn from liquid to solid. But I stood there and brought my full attention to the pancake making experience. And I had this profound, what I call orgasmic <laughs> moment. So a very profound moment of awe, watching this very ordinary experience of pancake making. And then from that, we decided to uh, design our practice based upon what I had experienced and our years of experience as a mindfulness teacher into what we call the awe method. But in terms of like defining awe, is, I think that's part of your question. Researchers define awe as an emotion that has two aspects to it. So if you think for a moment, if, if you can tell me, Melissa, a moment of awe you've had in your life, can you can you share something? The very first thing that came to mind was the first time I held my first baby. Yeah. So that was like a, a big transformative moment. And I'm, I'm guessing you felt like a sense of vastness, like this deep connection with the baby and maybe something connecting bigger than yourself and the baby, like some deeper spiritual feeling. Is that right? Yes. It was a, a combination of so many feelings at once. Also terror. But yeah, like I created this thing. I get to get to know you. It was really incredible. Yeah. So if we, if we think about a moment of awe that we have, there's two aspects in terms of how we scientifically define what awe is. So first of all, there's a sense of vastness, perceptual vastness. So an awe moment can feel vast externally in terms of looking out at the world at a big view at Yosemite or the Grand Canyon, but it also creates a sense of vastness within ourselves. You don't have to have external vastness, but it but an awe moment makes your sense of self, like your small ego, it makes everything feel bigger and expand. And I know that's what you described when you kind of held the baby for the first time and got to meet him or her and embrace that new aspect of your life of motherhood. And that's the second way we define awe as emotion is that it's what's called cognitive accommodation. So when we have an awe moment, it shifts our perception of reality for just a moment. Like we go like, huh, wow. Like your role on this planet completely changed the moment you held your baby for the first time. You're like, now I'm a mother. You have this huge responsibility and massive amount of love for this new being that's part of you. And together, those aspects is what creates the emotion of awe. You mentioned how people have difficulty with mindfulness, which I think is really unfortunate because there's so many benefits, but a lot of people don't even get there yet. So I hear a lot of things from people like, oh, meditation doesn't work for me. And I'm like, you just haven't got there yet. And I know because I probably waited in that area for 10 years where I'm like trying to develop one, feels good for a minute, really can't. And now it's funny because I, I am on a streak. Like I meditation is the most important thing to me. Well, one of them <laughs> besides my family, it's one of my most important self-care practices. And so it's the very first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, 20 minutes. And a friend actually replied to me and she was like, I can't believe you have the time to do that with a toddler and being pregnant and all the stuff that you have going on. And I'm like, well, I prioritize it. And so to me, I feel like we can all make the time for things that are really important to us. But like you said, we don't. And mindfulness tends to be this sort of big barrier for people, especially the meditation part of mindfulness. Why do you think that is that they haven't really been able to connect the practice with the benefits? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. 
But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. (laughs) And it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Mindfulness tends to be this sort of big barrier for people, especially the meditation part of mindfulness. Why do you think that is, that they haven't really been able to connect the practice with the benefits? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been a student of mindfulness for 30 years. I first, I guess, discovered mindfulness when I was in college. I was pre-med and had a lot of test-taking anxiety. And so when I was taking the MCAT, which is the qualifying examination for medical school, I had a full-on panic attack, which in that moment, my whole brain shut down and I was no longer able to perform on the test. I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack, but everything kind of goes blank and you might be reading a paragraph, but it makes no sense because your mind can't even focus on that task. And my heart was racing. And so it was in that moment that uh, I realized I needed to begin to work with my mind in a more constructive, healthy way and to learn how to manage my anxiety. So a friend told me about a Buddhist meditation retreat that was 10 days long and didn't cost any money. And I went ahead and signed up for the program. And that was my first experience. And it was really hard. It was one of those those retreats where you sit for 12 hours a day and do a lot of deep internal work. It was not easy to do but it was very beneficial for me and it began me down this journey. But like you and what you shared, it's been a hard road. I mean, developing a consistent meditation practice is not easy for people. And it's because our minds in the, in the society we live in and our culture, our attention is constantly pulled in so many different directions. And it's not natural for us to focus on one thing for 10 to 20 minutes without our mind jumping all around. I mean, our minds are like monkeys and they just go around to jump to different ideas and topics and thoughts, and then they just keep going. Um, There's a part of the brain that is where that all happens called the default mode network. And it's part of our wiring to have a monkey mind. And that's why it's hard because it takes a lot of effort and a lot of focus to calm the mind for those 10 or 20 minutes. And I'm sure when you meditate, even now for your practice, if you were to count how many times your mind moved around or jumped, I'm sure even after 10 plus years of practice, you'd probably tell me a many, a few dozen times your mind has shifted in those 20 minutes. Is that probably true? More than a few dozen, probably. (laughs) It's constantly just trying to get it back to the mantra. That's how I do really well with structure. And so when I'm just trying to start something on my own, a lot of times I will try to find some sort of book or a course or whatever. And and I think things really started to change for me when I did transcendental meditation. And it's not like it's, I needed any 
it's not like it's that complicated a thing. The main aspect is just always coming back to a mantra and not trying so hard and not beating yourself up when you realize that your mind jumps. And so, yeah, it's like every few seconds I'm like, oh, yeah, back to the mantra. Oh, yeah, back. And even trying to do, I've been really trying to focus some of my meditations on visioning because of the power of visioning for your life. And and you'd think that it'd be easier to stay in this train of thought about what your ideal life is and like what you want to create in this world. Like that sounds very appealing. And even then I'm like, wait, why am I thinking about that thing that happened yesterday? That's super mundane. Come back to the big dreams, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what's really exciting about our book, The Power of Awe, and it's based upon uh, the research that Jake and I have done. So Jake is a psychotherapist in Hawaii and um, I'm a medical doctor. I'm a pain management specialist. And so after we had this uh, epiphany <laughs> moment in Hawaii, <laughs> we came up with what we call the awe method. And so we use the word awe, which is spelled with an A, a W, and an E. Uh, it's an acronym. And so there's three steps to this very brief five to 15 second mindfulness practice that we taught to hundreds of participants in two research studies at the height of the pandemic when people were super stressed out and having a really hard time coping with a lot of anxiety and depression, loneliness, burnout. Uh, we saw profound benefits from this practice. Uh, we can talk more about the science behind it and um, a little bit more about our research because I think it's really important to bring up. But the technique is so powerful because we had many people in our study that had tried meditation and failed. They just couldn't do it. It was just too hard to have a formal meditation practice. And there's four aspects to this practice that make it really special. First of all, is that it's can be done anytime, any place, anywhere. So you can have an all moment when you're in line at the airport going through TSA. You can have an all moment when you're at a red light. You can have an all moment. And like I can have an all moment right now while we're having this podcast interview and appreciating the backdrop behind you and the beautiful plants you have. And to think about your sign that you have about your podcast and where that came from, you know, that can elicit for me a moment of awe. Secondly, um, this practice is effortless. You know, we all can focus our minds for five to 15 seconds. It all takes, it doesn't require a consistent long-term uh, focus concentration that, that goes on for minutes or half an hour or whatever. The practice, as the more times we do it, um, we build what we call the awe muscle. So the more times you practice throughout the day, your muscle gets stronger, which is really exciting. You're learning new habits and rewiring your brain in a very positive way. And our research study lasted 21 days where we taught this awe method and had people do it three times a day for 15 seconds. So we're talking less than a minute a day. And from that, we found just profound benefits in terms of mental and physical health. And then the final thing is what's special about this practice compared to regular mindfulness practices where you're sitting for 10 or 20 minutes is that there's an instantaneous reward. When you have a moment of awe, you feel good, right? Like you, if you think about the awe moments you've had, Melissa, like there, there's a reward at the end of the experience of having a moment of awe, they feel good. And that's, what's beautiful because your, your, your brain chemistry, your, your body's physiology is responding in a very favorable way because it's a very positive uh, emotion that is important for your physical and emotional health and well-being. Yeah, I'm reminded of a gratitude practice. The reason that a gratitude practice is so effective is because, you know, you start trying to think of something that you're grateful for in the day and maybe you think of a few things, but then because you're focused on this multiple times a day, then your brain starts automatically focusing on it in between those times. And so I can see how the same thing would happen with awe. And I'm also reminded of I've talked about this before, but there was a moment I was having where I was, my mind just kept going to the negative. I think it was last time I was pregnant. <laughs> I had a really hard time last time I was pregnant. And I was letting my mind wander. And I, I think I came across something where either someone was imprisoned or it was like a third world life. And I was just like, I can't imagine living like that. Like that was a reminder for me that I really have it made. <laughs> so all of these problems that I perceive are not really real. And I was washing the dishes at that time. And I'm like, even just washing the dishes, imagine if you didn't have this luxury. And suddenly I started to focus on the warm water on my hands and like the feeling of 
the luxurious soap that I bought and how my hands felt soft. And I'm like, I usually don't like doing the dishes, but in this moment, it was a luxury. It was something that I felt very privileged to be able to do. And I think in that moment, I created my own awe moment out of something that would have been not just mundane, but something that would have even been tedious or something that I didn't want to do. And so in that moment, I remember actually making a promise to myself, I'm going to have more of these. And I did for a while, but I've lost it. So I'm really excited about this interview because it it is another reminder that that is a practice. Whatever I need to do, maybe it's a, a cell phone alarm that goes off three times a day that's just like, what do you find, what can you find awe in right now? Just a little moment. But it's interesting to me too, because I feel like all of a sudden people are talking about awe more. Are there more scientific studies being done? Why does it seem like the concept of awe is getting so much attention these days? Yeah, well, there has been uh, quite a bit of research on awe in the last 20 years. The first scientific paper that started looking at the emotion of awe was in 2003. And at UC Berkeley, where we've been doing our research at the Greater Good Science Center, uh, the founder of the center, Decker Keltner, who's a colleague of mine, um, and is really the granddaddy of awe research. You know, he's made his career uh, commitment to the emotion of awe. And early on, the research was looking at the sociological uh, benefits of awe. Awe is considered what's called a pro-social emotion. And pro-social emotions mean that these are emotions that cultivate positive human um, attributes like generosity, gratitude, compassion, kindness, open-mindedness, curiosity about different people's you know, political views, like there's all these wonderful sociological benefits for having on our lives. And then over time, the research has shifted a little bit where now we're looking at it more as an intervention for actual medical problems. And so our research that I did with Jake and also Dacker was part of our research team. We looked at a very new way of ex- teaching people how to experience awe. So all the prior research looked at what's called extraordinary awe. So they were having people go in virtual reality simulators and, and go fly over Yosemite Valley with goggles on, is you know, simulating that experience. But that's not sustainable for a daily practice, right? You can't, we can't have extraordinary awe on a daily basis. And so what Jake and I came up with was this very easy and powerful technique, which is the awe method that gives people an experience of awe, but in ordinary moments that we can access many times throughout the day, whatever we're doing at any time in any place. And our study is really one of the, I would say a big transformation in the research of awe because it's looking at awe as an intervention. It's just as effective as treating depression as Prozac, for example. You know, in our study with over 500 participants, And this was at the height of the pandemic when over half of the Americans were suffering from anxiety and depression from the pandemic. We saw a 35% reduction in depression levels, you know, pre post. And that is basically as efficacious as prescription drugs for depression. So I think where you're seeing why there's more and more attention is because there's more research, but we're also seeing awe now as a very practical, easily accessible tool that can be taught to people that do on a very on a daily basis. One of the things that came to mind when I first met my husband was how much I took off for granted. <laughs> like I've grown up in California uh-huh. where everything's beautiful. And there's one of the things that my husband kind of brought into my life is he's just always been really great at noticing the beauty around. And I don't know if it was being younger or not having that instilled in me or maybe just, again, taking it for granted because I was always surrounded by beauty. But he came from Michigan to California, and so he was used to very flat lands. And then all of a sudden, there's all this elevation. So he's always been obsessed with elevation. And now whenever we're going somewhere, he'll make sure to pull over when there's a good view. And and at first, I was like, this is cool. Like, what a cool guy, (laughs) you know? And now I'm like, oh, my God, the view. And so... It is something that's changed in me over time just because I've had the blessing of having a person that is there to remind me. And so 
that's just with one thing. That's just with elevation, you know, and views and the beauty. But I love this idea of kind of drilling it down to just little moments and, and realizing like all of these little things. Imagine if somebody from a hundred years ago was transported to your life right now. How many things just within your reach would they be in total awe over because it did not exist back then? And so one of the things that you talk about though to help us kind of figure out where to find awe is that there are three types of awe. What are those three types? Yeah, so at some point we should definitely talk a little about the awe method itself and and what what are the three steps in the awe practice. But we, um, in terms of categorizing awe, we to help people learn to do this practice, it's sometimes helpful to identify which category of awe you're experiencing. And so the first category, which is often the easiest for people to experience, is what we call sensorial awe. So that's awe of the senses, right? So watching a beautiful sunset or noticing the patterns of veins on a leaf of a tree is a visual experience of awe. Or with your hands, you can, let's say, you know, appreciate warm water from a shower head coming out and have an awe moment by the heat and the warmth that touches your body. You know, that's another one of your senses. Or you could go to a concert or listen to music of one of your favorite artists and be in awe of a song that really touches your heart in a very powerful way. The second category of awe is what we call interconnected awe. And that's awe we have in relation with other sentient beings. So it could be an awe moment you might have with your child or your partner, even with a stranger. You can have an awe moment connecting with a stranger at the grocery store in line or meeting someone on the street. Uh, You can have an awe moment with your pet, you know, looking at your pet's eyes or petting them, appreciating the way they walk or whatever. There's endless ways you can have awe moments with with other sentient beings. And then the third way to categorize awe is what we call uh, conceptual awe. And that's how we look at the world and different concepts and how that inspires an awe moment. Like for example, here I am right now, we're both, you know, I think there's probably some natural light from the sun coming in through your window. And I'm having this awe moment right now where I'm appreciating and realizing that the light I'm seeing traveled from the sun, which is about a hundred million miles away. I mean, it's, that's super far away. <laughs> and it took eight minutes to get here. And because our sun, which is like a giant nuclear reactor is emitting all of these photons all the time that travel to earth, we have daylight. And it's just, it's it, to me, that's mind blowing. You know, that's, that's, an, that's what we talk about with conceptual awe. It's just these, the concepts of what make our world as it is in in and of themselves is a mind-blowing awe experience. So those are the three types of awe. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back. No questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order.
sometimes we just need an idea, like a conceptual idea of what to what to focus on. Like if we're not used to used to it in a certain way, it's like, yeah, but how amazing is this concept? I do that with cameras. It still blows my mind that a camera, I just hit, press a button and it's like this realistic image on a piece of paper. It blows my mind. <laughs> I will never fully understand yeah. the science of it. But that is something almost every time I take a picture, especially if I get it printed, which is very rare these days, that just brings awe to me. And we'll definitely talk about the method, but I want to get people excited. How long does it take to notice the benefits of the awe method? Yeah, that's a great question. So in our study, we asked the participants to practice three times a day at least uh, for 15 seconds. So we're talking in total less than a minute a day, and it was a 21-day program. And so we're, we're actually teaching this program now online. So at our website, thepowerofawe.com, you can uh, learn more about our, our course, the Power of Awe course that you can participate in. And we teach the this very similar curriculum to what we taught the, the patients that were in the program in the study. But it only takes 21 days that we've seen for people to go from what's called a state to a trait. So we talked a little about this earlier around developing habits and making changes with our, our brain and our neurobiology. And so in our experience, it takes about 21 days to really build up a practice. Where at hopefully around 21 days, you start to experience spontaneous moments of awe where you don't actually have to use the awe method anymore or any formal practice to experience awe. The awe, in a sense, just bubbles up all throughout your day. And that's, I've been now practicing this for about four years since we uh, made this discovery of the practice. And um, my whole day is sort of filled with these, these moments of awe that bubble up. You know, if I'm walking my dog, down the street to the park and back. I mean, I could have you know, five, six, seven, eight, you know, moments of awe just in that 20 minute walk that just, they just come up because the beauty of this practice is that it's effortless. And as you open your eyes and bring your attention to the miraculous and beautiful world around us, awe is there for the taking. It's in many ways, you can think of it as our birthright. Like we're wired to experience awe. We don't because we distract ourselves with all the things that keep us busy in our high-tech connected world today, we don't take the time to have awe anymore. But our ancestors were very intimately in touch with, with awe and um, awe of the natural world, all of connection to something greater, you know, in terms of like God or universal consciousness. I mean, that was a big part of ancient human civilization. I mean, we're wired to have awe. It's part of our physiology. This isn't an emotion that is a luxury. It's an emotion that we know from our research and other people's research that is perhaps the most of most important of all positive emotions because of its impact on our physical health and emotional health. A structure, <laughs> like I talked about earlier, sometimes it's just you don't think you should need a structure for experiencing awe, but sometimes that helps, especially to get the ball rolling when you're trying to start a new practice and feeling confident in what you're doing. So what are the steps of the awe method? Yeah. So uh, like you were saying, it's really important to have in a sense training wheels and that's what the awe method is. It sort of helps us learn how to begin to then have spontaneous moments of awe in our life multiple times a day. And in our book, we, we go into a lot of detail about the science behind it, as well as we have 30 practices that are sort of extended awe practices to inspire awe, which is really, they're, they're, they're really profound practices. So I'm, I'm mindful. I know when I listen to podcasts, I'm always driving my car pretty much. So I don't want to give uh, a very focused, direct awe experience right now because I don't want someone to like crash their car <laughs> and, and having an, an, an orgasmic moment. But I'll, I will talk through basically what the three steps are. And if people want to go to our website or read the book, there's uh, more details about the, the awe practice with a lot of um, uh, deeper practices to explore. But we use the word um, awe, A-W-E. It's an acronym for the three steps. Uh, so the first letter A stands for the word attention. And so what we're asking people to do is to bring their full attention to something they value, appreciate, or find amazing. So right now, while we're, while we're all we're chatting, you know, I'm bringing my awareness to these beautiful plants that you have uh, behind you. 
some of them are succulents and especially the one that has those little peas, the little beads that the peas that drop down, you know, those are really neat. I mean, I find them really awe-inspiring. So I'm bringing my full attention to something I value, appreciate, or find amazing. And again, it's usually easier for something sensorial. So you could just, you know, use your senses, whether you're feeling, hearing, or, or looking at something, but it also can be a memory. It could be a memory of, of someone that you love that's no longer alive. They can inspire awe in the present moment. And then the W, which is the next letter in the word awe, is wait. So we're asking the participant of the practice to just wait for a cycle of a breath. And I think of the weight as in a way like you're marinating yourself, you know, you're, you're soaking in that full moment that you're bringing your attention to really letting it fill you up. And then the E is a deeper exhale than your inhale. So you want to take a longer exhale out that's deep. And when you take a longer exhale out, you're stimulating what's called your vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is the master central computer of your autonomic nervous system. And it's the part of your nervous system that causes you to rest and your heart rate to slow down and all these beneficial processes to occur physiologically that allow your body to heal and to feel safe. And then the E also stands for expand. So you want to let that moment that you just had expand, like let it get big, let it get vast inside of you. In fact, you can imagine perhaps either in your mind's eye or um, just sensorially, you can imagine this filling you up where it almost gets bigger than you as a person. And that's often when you get those chills, right? When that expansion happens is when you phys physiologically feel those chills, when you experience awe or the tingle in your spine, or you start to smile, your eyes might widen, get bigger. You're going to perhaps notice colors get brighter. There's a lot of things that can change in your physiology in that moment where, you know, you're having a moment of awe. And that's the practice. It's A-W-E, attention, wait, exhale, and expand. And like I shared, we have I, on our website, we have um, some recordings of the practice as well as um, free offerings of material that you can, can go to as well as an online course. I love that because it's just so simple and it's something that you can easily incorporate into your day. The hardest part is just remembering. So like I said, I'm going to be using a tool like a three times per day alarm, which is really what I do whenever I'm trying to implement a new habit. Just a little reminder, focus on awe. What can you find awe-inspiring today? You In your book, you talk about the difference in force versus presence. And it kind of reminds me of what I was talking about with transcendental meditation, where they talk about releasing the effort, which is hard for people to do though, because they're like, it's something new. What do you mean? Don't try. So what do you mean about force versus presence? What should we know about that? Yeah, so in our book, we talk about the, the difference between um, living with force in our lives, which is really the state that most of us are in, where we're efforting really hard, we're, we're pushing, we're resisting to make things happen. And what we have learned from our research studies is that for people that are learning to, to practice the awe method, that by cultivating a sense of presence, that the awe experiences then come naturally. This isn't something that requires force. In fact, if you try to make yourself have an awe experience, like you're sort of faking it till you make it, which is a, you know, faking it till you make it is an example of force. You're making something happen that really isn't naturally arising. Then you're going to find yourself failing at, at trying to cultivate awe. Awe just comes from when you let go and you're just fully present, then these moments arise. They they just bubble up in a way. You could you could say that they they spontaneously come up because there's there's an endless amount of awe to be had in the present moment. I mean, uh, you were talking about this, but it like when with your example of washing dishes, you know, there's so much to be in awe of in the experience of washing dishes. And it sounds funny, but it's not. It's really it's all there. You can be in awe of, of the soap and, and the suds and how saponification breaks down fats and cleans things. I mean, that's the chemistry behind that is really awe-inspiring if you think about it. I also want to just briefly touch back on what you were talking about, about building an awe practice. And you talked about setting your alarm to remind yourself to do so. And what is often really helpful for people is to do what's called habit stacking. And habit stacking is when you 
the new habit you're trying to build, you stack it onto a habit you already have. So for example, everyone probably brushes their teeth in the morning and at the end of the day. So you could stack your awe moment around the time you brush your teeth. Like, okay, I'm brushing now. Let's go find an awe moment. <laughs> you know, that's, that's one way to do it. For me, I start my morning with a cup of coffee and I find making a cup of coffee, opening the bag of coffee, smelling the coffee. It's an all moment for me. Every day I find something inspiring around my coffee making process, whether it's the, you know, the, it's boiling the water and watching the, wa the boil water boil in a kettle or the aromas of the coffee or the feel of the coffee or the taste of the coffee, some aspect of that process I find awe. And it's, a, it's always a new, a new way of experiencing coffee. It's, it's, it's a way of really deeply being intimate with your life which isn't how we're all living. Most of us are living unconscious. We're just on autopilot. And what's beautiful about this practice is that it shifts your level of consciousness so that you can begin to really appreciate and value and savor these simple things that we've forgotten to, to find miraculous and wonderful. It's just, it, it opens your eyes to a completely new way of living. And the beautiful thing is, is that with the practice, what we found in our research is that it's dose dependent. So the more times throughout your day, you dose moments of awe, the more benefit you get, the stronger your awe muscle gets. It's a, it's a, it's, and you get more rewards. So it's a very self-generative practice, uh, which I've never found with any other mindfulness practice at this level. Well, because in mindfulness, we hear so much about bringing our attention to the present moment. And I think people miss the idea of our mindset when we're in that present moment. And so a lot of us are so used to being spiraled into the negative that it's like, well, I don't want to be in the present moment because in the present moment, I'm they don't even realize they're not in the present moment because they're judging what their house looks like or what the task is that they want to do. And they think that that's in the present moment. And so to have something sort of guide your mind, it's like, what is amazing about this? Uh, and so then you you have, it's like the mantra in meditation. You have this thing to keep coming back to. And then you get to this point where I've read a lot of different books where people study with monks and gurus where they just live in a whole different <laughs> mental world than we do, right? Like they've spent weeks or months in caves <laughs> and their brains are just different. But what they, what a lot of people say when they've spent time with people like that is that the energy they hold and how deeply they are in the present moment, the peace that they feel, the awe that they seem to have for every little thing. And so we are, like you said, training our brains to be in a different state of mind in the present moment than we're used to experiencing. And so I know that that has so many benefits for just our happiness, releasing anxiety, depression, things like that. But you talked about the vagus nerve, and we recently just did an episode on polyvagus theory, episode 284. And that actually has even more physical benefits. And you, I know that you have a whole section in your book about how awe relates to the science of healing. What do we know about that? Yeah. So we're, Jake and I are part of this, um, I guess you could call it a think tank of psychologists, researchers, physicians, people that are neuroscience experts. Uh, and part, one of the members in our group is Steve Porges, who's the founder of polyvagal theory. And so we, we talk a lot about him in one section of our book and his work. And the basic idea is, is that as part of this group is that we, we all believe that healing happens when we feel safe, when, when our nervous system is able to relax and we're not feeling threat or fear, um, that we're able to do the deeper healing work that needs to happen. And so one of the things that's really amazing about the emotion of awe, and this is some research that's been done at UC Berkeley, is they measured inflammatory cytokines. So in our body, we have these protein-based molecules. And cytokines, by the way, are actually the oldest intracellular communicators on the planet. So when Earth was first with um, 
single cell, early multi-cell organisms, cytokines were the communicators between and within cells. They're these um, master communicators. And basically there's two subsets. There's ones that are, they're called safety cytokines. So the ones that tell us that we're safe and healing can happen and we can restore and build up our body in a very constructive healing way. And then there's threat cytokines, which are pushing our body towards a state of threat and scarcity and inflammation and destruction. And awe, as it turns out in studies that have been done where they've measured blood levels of inflammatory threat cytokines, awe is the only positive emotion that statistically lowers these threat cytokines, specifically interleukin-6, which is the big bad gang leader of the bad cytokines. Um, IL-6 has been implicated in the cytokine storm where people were dying with the COVID, you know, the big early stage of COVID when people were dying of cytokine storms. IL-6 is the big bad boy. And IL-6 on a chronic level is implicated in heart disease and diabetes and cancer. So awe as an emotion is powerful in creating a state of healing, of safety, um, and decreases the risks of any, you know, the bad complications of chronically elevated IL-6. So and- that's basically it in a nutshell. I mean, there's other ways in which um, awe is working on our nervous system, but in terms of the relationship with polyvagal, that's that's the main way in which awe is so powerful as an emotion. Awe can also help with loneliness. And you talk about how loneliness is more of a state of mind than a state of being. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so part of our research study, um, which was at the height of the pandemic, um, people were feeling very lonely when we were sheltering in place. And we studied um, using a a measure from the UCLA. There's a loneliness scale. Um, We taught people that were sheltering in place all alone. And we saw a statistically significant reduction in loneliness, which is kind of surprising, right? That here people were still sheltering in place. They were still alone, but yet they experienced less loneliness while they were practicing more awe. And and by the way, the more you dose awe, the less loneliness you have. And the reason why this is, is because if you think about it, when you experience a moment of awe, you connect to something that's greater than the self. You're connecting to the vastness of whether you want to call it the universe or God or some consciousness, some, some vast connection. And it takes us away from the small sense of self, like a smaller ego, and it connects to something that's greater than the self. And so that is why with the awe practice, it changes one's experience of loneliness where it's now, uh, where one feels connected versus feeling a sense of, uh, you know, temporary loneliness and, and being, without uh, another person. And what's really amazing is you don't have to be with somebody else. You can experience a moment of awe and that deeper connection all by yourself. That's basically the lesson I've learned with all of my self-growth is that almost every problem that I think I have, even when there is a big external force from it, the suffering comes from my perception, not from the actual problem. That's why there's people that can be going through the exact same things and one of them has a bright mindset and the other one has a dark mindset about it. They feel their life is being ruined versus now one of the things that I have been training myself to do over the last 15 years is to use my limitations as guideposts. And so this has been something I've really been cultivating where I used to think like, oh my gosh, now this is closed or now there's this new thing in place and I can't do this. And I would see things as barriers to what I wanted to do. And now I'm like, well, that takes away an option. This makes my decisions much simpler. And so with practices like these, what we're doing is training our minds to see the beauty and the possibility and the wonder rather than what are the default of our brain wants to do, which is focus on the negative, because that's how our brain works to enable our survival. We just don't need it as much as we used to. (laughs) So it's really exciting to have such small practices like this that can expand our minds in such powerful ways. And so I'm curious, what future studies are you doing around the concept of awe? Yeah, that's great to ask. We are just Actually, as soon as I'm done with this podcast, I'm meeting with my research lab. We are doing a COVID long haul study. So people that have had COVID and they're suffering from the long COVID symptoms, which are probably related to inflammation in the brain um, and in the body, 
We are um, conducting at UC Davis, University of California, Davis, a COVID long study where we're teaching the, the awe method um, in a double blind clinical study. And the study commences around the beginning of March. So I don't know when this will be published, but if you go to the UC Davis, what's called study pages website, and you know anyone that is suffering from long COVID, um, you can find out information about our next study there. And then ultimately, we're really excited about looking at heart health. And we're going to be, um, through the Department of Cardiology, looking at um, cardiac rehab after heart attacks or cardiac events and how the awe method can help with healing of the heart after a heart attack, which is really exciting research. That is really exciting, especially yeah. given the uptick in those events these days. It's going to be <laughs> a really powerful thing for people to have. Um, I mean, hoping that it has the, the effects that we believe it will, that we need more resources <laughs> for cardiac events. Well, definitely. This is so exciting, and and I uh, love all of the just not just actionable insights, but actual scientific research that has gone into this method, which is just I love understanding the science behind things, why how it's changing your brain. Because if I know the how, it's just a lot easier for me to create a sustainable practice because. I know what's working, you know, I know what's what's going on in there. And then it also spawns other ideas where it's like, okay, well, this is how I'm feeling in this state of mind. What other moments of my day is that? Do I feel that same feeling? And can I expand that? And so I think it really has the power to change the way we live and the way we experience our lives. Because like I said earlier, almost everything is perception. And so we think that we need to change all of these external things, but maybe we just need to perceive what we already have in a different way. And so for listeners that are interested in learning more about your method, your book, and the potential research, the, the future re research that they're doing, where's the best place to find you online? Yeah, the best place to find us online is at thepowerofawe.com. So you just spell out our book title, um, dot com and we have a website and on that website has more information about our book we have a lot of free resources in terms of some of the longer practices you can do some recordings we also have what's really fun called the moment of awe page and that's where you can post your moment of awe either through photographs or pick or words and there's something really special about the emotion of awe that when you share a moment of awe with somebody else you inspire awe in somebody else so it's a really beautiful thing about awe is that we can um, sort of snowball or inspire awe. And really our hope with this book, you know, Jake and I, we didn't set out to, uh, to write a book from the get-go. You know, we were just trying to make a difference and, and discover ways to improve people's experience with mindfulness. And then from that came our research studies and from that came a book and, and the offerings we're doing online. But we really believe that this method is an important part of finding solutions for some of the big social ills that we're, we're having in our society right now and on the planet. Because if you think about it, if you are in awe of humanity and awe of the beautiful diversity of different cultures of people, then you're not going to want to kill somebody just because they might have a different name for the word God or their skin color is different or they eat different foods or they dress a little differently than you. Because when you're in awe of people's diversity, you feel warmth and connection. I mean, this is such a beautiful pro-social emotion. It's like the ultimate in terms of cultivating kindness and friendship and compassion for each other on the planet. And likewise, if you think about and you're in awe of the beauty of the natural world and you are in awe of different species and different habitats and appreciate the grandeur of the natural world, you don't want to destroy it. Like how can you cut down redwoods or or clear-cut forests, or pollute the oceans, and fish to the point of destroying all species on the planet of different fish, you know, groups. Like it's like you can't because you you value, appreciate, and you're in awe of those different things that make our natural world precious and miraculous. So our hope is really that this is part of the bigger solution of of, of some of these big things that are facing our world because we know that awe helps with opening our hearts. It, um, people, when they experience a moment of awe, they're less set 
in fixed to their their ideology. So this could be a way if we had more awe to help heal some of the divides between different, you know, political beliefs or where people feel stuck and really rooted in their belief that I'm right and other people are wrong and they're wrong. And so I want to kill them. You know, this is, this shouldn't be happening. Like we, we, we really all need to be living in awe more. America, sad to say that they've looked at research studies where they've measured the natural amount of awe people have in different parts of the world. And we're the lowest of the low. We we're a culture that's starved of awe. And so I hope that in this new year and, and in this new chapter as awe is getting a lot more attention that we can begin as a society to value, appreciate, and you know, cultivate the emotion of awe to begin to heal and make the world such a more um, loving, kind, and compassionate place for all, for all beings on the planet. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 292. Your challenge for this week is to practice getting into that state of awe. So you can either go back and listen to this episode to be reminded of the awe method, or if you are a MindLove member, you can actually just use the meditation that I created that will guide you through the steps. I have been working with this meditation because awe is one of the easiest ways to actually just feel good in any given moment. Another way to do this is just by reminding yourself regularly when you're on a walk, stop and think about what is awesome about what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing. When you gaze at your baby or your partner or a friend, what are you grateful for about that connection? And can you really feel it? The more you practice doing this, the more it starts to become second nature. You can also just set reminders on your phone for a couple times a day to remind you to get into that place, to start to notice beyond the surface level. And if you do have access to the meditation, the more often you do that, the more you wire your brain to create those types of experiences. So let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. If you want to become a member and get access to the dozens of meditations that we have in there, along with our exclusive masterclasses, which are basically mini courses every single month that keep you accountable to make giving your mind a little love a lifestyle. You can find more information at mindlove.com slash membership. You can find my amazing sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And if you found this episode awesome, please consider sharing it. Take a screenshot and tag Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. Thank you.